0: Welcome to the July 29th, 2021 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today's podcast is a special edition that focuses exclusively on vaccine-induced immune thrombotic thrombocytopenia, or VIT, a rare but potentially fatal syndrome associated with adenovirus-based COVID-19 vaccines. The VIT syndrome is characterized by thrombocytopenia and thrombosis, in association with platelet-activating antiplatelet factor IV antibodies. First, we'll review an insightful Spotlight article on what is known about VIT to date. Then we'll discuss two new brief reports in blood that provide additional insights on VIT clinical manifestations, laboratory findings, and disease management. (laughs) We'll start with the Spotlight article by Gothami Arapalli and Thomas Ortel of Duke University Medical Center in Durham, North Carolina. In the article, entitled Vaccine-Induced Immune Thrombotic Thrombocytopenia, What We Know and Don't Know, the authors describe VIT as a rare, clinically distinct syndrome that typically occurs within two weeks after vaccination with one of the adenovirus-based COVID-19 vaccines. Initial descriptions of what would become known as VIT emerged in late February 2021. These reports described the combination of thrombocytopenia with thrombosis in atypical locations, notably including the cerebral or splanchnic veins in otherwise healthy individuals who had received ch ox ones the adenoviral vector COVID-19 vaccine from AstraZeneca. However, by April 2021, similar reports had emerged related to ad 26 cov 2s the adenovirus-based vaccine from Johnson & Johnson. VIT can be described by other names, including thrombosis with thrombocytopenia syndrome, or TTS. Some consider the term VIT to be more specific because it refers to the temporal relationship between vaccination and the disease manifestations. Typically, the presentation occurs within about two weeks of vaccination. Although the numbers are quickly evolving, The incidence of VIT is about 7 to 10 cases per million individuals who have received the AstraZeneca vaccine. Incidence of VIT for the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is only about 3 per million. However, that figure probably underestimates the true incidence and reflects delays in reporting the syndrome, given that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine hasn't been available for as long as the AstraZeneca vaccine. To put that in perspective with similar conditions, The estimated annual incidence of immune thrombocytopenia in the general population is 16 to 39 cases per million. Isolated cerebral vein thrombosis incidence is 13 to 20 cases per million. Other well-known thrombotic thrombocytopenia syndromes, such as thrombotic thrombocytopenia purpura and atypical hemolytic uremic syndrome, occur at a frequency of about 11 cases per million. Insights into pathogenesis to date indicate that VIT is an immune complication that has similarities to autoimmune heparin-induced thrombocytopenia, or HIT. In particular, both syndromes are characterized by the finding of high levels of circulating antiplatelet factor IV antibodies. Studies to date also suggest VIT is unlikely to be caused by SARS-CoV-2 infection. Despite COVID-19 being a hypercoagulable disorder, it is not common to observe cerebral vein thrombosis with or without thrombocytopenia among infected individuals. In one study including more than 500,000 patients with documented COVID-19 disease, cerebral vein thrombosis developed in only 20 patients, or 0.004%, and of those cases, only a single patient also developed thrombocytopenia. Furthermore, while nearly all patients with VIT exhibit high levels of antiplatelet factor IV antibodies, in patients hospitalized with COVID 19, antiplatelet factor IV antibodies are found at their expected prevalence. Based on data reported to date from the United States and the UK, the incidence of VIT is slightly higher in women and is seen less often in individuals 70 years of age or older. No consistent associations have been noted with regard to medical comorbidities, use of oral contraceptive pills, hormonal treatment, cardiovascular disease, or thrombophilia. Most subjects present after one dose of vaccine, typically within a week or two of immunization. Presenting symptoms are often consistent with the underlying sites of thrombosis and may include headaches, nausea and vomiting, or abdominal pain. Cerebral vein thrombosis is most common, seen in up to 80% of reports, though involvement of the splanchnic bed is also common. By contrast, patients with HIT or autoimmune HIT usually present with thromboses in more common sites, such as deep vein thrombosis, pulmonary embolism, or arterial thromboses. Laboratory findings in patients with VIT point toward a consumptive coagulopathy and include thrombocytopenia, low fibrinogen, and elevated D-dimer. This again contrasts with autoimmune HIT, where consumptive coagulopathy would be seen in only the most severe cases. As noted, circulating antiplatelet factor IV antibodies are found in most patients. These are detectable using enzyme-linked immunosorbent assays, but not by latex immunoturbinometric assays. While strong correlations between antiplatelet factor IV seropositivity and functional assays of platelet activation have been reported, False negatives may occur. One case series indicated that functional assays had low rates of positivity among VIT subjects. High rates of VIT-related morbidity and mortality have been reported. In case series, cerebral hemorrhage has been reported in up to 80% of individuals. Deaths have been reported in 18% of patients with VIT in the UK data and 20% in US data. According to the author, high fatality rates may reflect delayed recognition of clinical signs and symptoms. In the Spotlight Report, the authors provide recommendations on how to approach the testing, identification, and management of VIT in recently vaccinated individuals who present with new symptoms. Based on available evidence, VIT should be managed like a HIT-like syndrome with non-heparin anticoagulants and intravenous immunoglobulin, or IVIG. By contrast, Treatment with unfractionated heparin, low molecular weight heparin, or platelet transfusions may contribute to disease progression. For additional guidance, we encourage you to review the American Society of Hematology resource on thrombosis with thrombocytopenia syndrome. This resource is located at www.hematology.org under the COVID-19 Resources section. Recent guidelines based on expert opinion are also available from the International Society on Thrombosis and Hemostasis and from the British Society of Hematology. Two other new articles in blood extend our understanding of VIT and its underlying pathology. The first of those is a brief report entitled Prothrombotic Immune Thrombocytopenia After COVID-19 Vaccine. The authors are Andrea Titi, Arnold Ganzer, and colleagues of Hanover Medical School in Hanover, Germany. In this report, the authors illustrate how VIT represents a broad spectrum of disease severity, with symptoms ranging from mild to severe, that can have a positive outcome with early recognition and treatment. TD and colleagues report a total of five cases presenting with thromboembolic events and thrombocytopenia within two weeks of receiving the AstraZeneca adenoviral vector COVID-19 vaccine. These patients were all women between 41 and 67 years of age. They presented between 5 and 11 days after the first vaccination. A range of clinical manifestations were observed, including cerebral venous sinus thrombosis, splanchnic vein thrombosis, arterial cerebral thromboembolism, and thrombotic microangiopathy. All patients had thrombocytopenia, highly elevated D-dimer, and antiplatelet factor 4 antibodies. Despite no exposure to heparin, none of the patients had experienced COVID-19 disease in the past, and all were SARS-CoV-2 negative by PCR test. Of note, patients were initially tested for antiplatelet factor 4 antibodies by chemiluminescent immunoassay, but results were negative. However, Samples retested by ELISA were all strongly positive for anti-PF4 antibodies. Investigators found that immunoglobulin from patient sera induced aggregation of healthy donor platelets. Moreover, adding the adenovirus vaccine itself increased binding of patients' immunoglobulin to healthy donor platelets. Treatment of these patients consisted of anticoagulation alone or combined with either the anti-complement factor V drug ecolizumab or IVIG, anticoagulation consisted of unfractionated heparin in one patient and the thrombin inhibitor argatroban in the other four patients. One of the five patients, who had presented with mild symptoms, recovered quickly after argatroban and received no further treatment. Of the remaining four patients, three went on to receive IVIG. While one had a favorable outcome with no further events, another developed extensive splanchnic vein thrombosis, and another developed a popliteal artery occlusion. The fifth patient received ecolizumab due to thrombotic microangiopathy and renal failure. Platelets recovered, though ecolizumab was also given as salvage therapy later due to a severe thromboembolic event. The patient then quickly improved and no further treatment was given. Taken together, these findings illustrate a broad spectrum of disease severity in VIT which the authors refer to as prothrombotic immune thrombocytopenia. Furthermore, awareness and early treatment may prevent complications, as shown in the patient who improved without further consequences following anticoagulation. Based on their findings, the authors suggest a high level of suspicion for this syndrome and prompt testing in patients who experience thromboembolism or thrombocytopenia after vaccination. However, They caution against using this data to draw conclusions about the overall safety of this vaccine in the general population. They say the estimated incidence of this complication remains uncertain. Furthermore, the risks of thromboembolic complications from COVID-19 itself appear to outweigh the potential thromboembolic risks of the vaccine. The second relevant brief report published in Blood is entitled, Frequency of Positive Anti-PF4 Polyanion Antibody Tests After COVID-19 Vaccination with ch ox one ncov 19 and BNT-162b2, referring to the AstraZeneca adenoviral vector-based vaccine and the Pfizer-BioNTech mRNA COVID-19 vaccine, respectively. The article is by Thomas Thiel and colleagues of University Medicine Griefswald in Germany. As previously alluded to, vit is characterized by the presence of IgG antibodies that react strongly in PF4 polyanion enzyme immunoassays. In this report, the authors demonstrate a significant incidence of weakly positive anti-PF4 polyanion IgG tests after vaccination with either vaccine, suggesting such a result should be interpreted with caution. These PF4 polyanion antibodies did not activate platelets and may have little relevance to the diagnosis of VIT, according to Thiel and colleagues. These findings are part of a substudy of two ongoing clinical studies of healthcare worker vaccination in Germany. Blood samples were analyzed after the first and second vaccine dose of BNT162b2 and before and after the first dose of ch ox one ncov 19 These samples were tested for anti-PF4 polyanion antibodies using an in-house IgG-specific PF4 polyanion enzyme immunoassay. 281 vaccinees were assessed, about half of whom received BNT162B2 and half received CHAD-OX1 and COVID-19. A total of 19 subjects tested positive for anti-PF4 polyanion antibodies for an overall frequency of 6.8%. Of those 19 subjects, 8 had received BNT162B2, for an overall frequency of 5.6%, and 11 received chad ox one ncov 19 for an overall frequency of 8%. Almost all of the 19 subjects were weakly positive for anti-PF4 polyanion antibodies. Just one of the 19 had a reaction classified as strong. Interestingly, The majority of these 19 subjects were already positive prior to vaccination. Of 11 samples that were available, 7 tested positive for anti-PF4 polyanion antibodies, while 4 exhibited seroconversion, meaning that they tested negative before vaccination and positive after vaccination. It is important to note that the sera samples positive for anti-PF4 polyanion antibodies were evaluated in a platelet activation assay and none could reproducibly activate platelets in the presence of added PF4. These findings suggest that low PF4 polyanion titers may be commonly seen with mild inflammation alone, according to Lubica Raova and Mortimer Ponce of the University of Pennsylvania, who contributed an editorial discussing the findings. Low titers of anti-PF4 polyanion antibodies in vaccinated individuals, especially in the absence of thrombosis, are probably due to an inflammatory state induced by COVID-19 vaccine and can be associated with both adenoviral-based and mRNA-based vaccines. Low titers of anti-PF4 do not appear to be a reason to be concerned about the potential for development of VIT, Rauova and Ponce wrote in their editorial. However, they added that much larger studies would be needed to determine how many patients would develop higher titer antibodies, and of those, how many would then go on to develop VID? Taken together, results of the study by Thiel and colleagues suggest that a positive anti-PF4 polyanon enzyme immunoassay, particularly a weak result, is not sufficient evidence to make a diagnosis of VID. Accordingly, a positive result needs to be evaluated in the proper clinical context, and specifically, whether thrombocytopenia or thrombosis has occurred within the immediate post-vaccination window of 5 to 20 days. Even then, however, the results need to be interpreted with caution. Overall, these articles make it clear that while knowledge about VIT is advancing rapidly, there is much that still needs to be learned. For example, it is still unclear how VIT incidence varies according to demographic factors, such as age, sex, and race, particularly as many cases likely go unreported. It is also unknown why VIT occurs, and whether it is related to the vaccine's DNA cargo, vaccine contaminants, or possibly the adenovirus vector itself. The role of PF4 in immune response needs to be investigated. It would also be helpful to identify biomarkers that could point to thrombotic risk. Finally, the management recommendations you heard in this podcast may shift as more data emerges. It's not clear how long individuals with VIT should receive anticoagulation. No one knows at this point if patients with VIT should avoid heparin in the future. Similarly, it remains unclear whether further adenoviral-based vaccines or therapies would be contraindicated in these individuals. Future case reports should extend our understanding of VIT. At the same time, increased awareness of this syndrome by providers and the public should help to enhance VIT recognition and early treatment to improve clinical outcomes. You have been listening to The Blood Podcast. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.